I will read very quickly from 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And he said, and she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow the vessels, the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. When thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her, and upon her sons who brought the, the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil, pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. I want to preach tonight, and I'll explain it in just a moment. My subject is a message from Ma's body. A message from Ma's body. Lord bless you as you're being seated this evening. I want to begin with a question that I've considered many times over since our plane landed at the Houston airport on April the 19th. The question is, do we really understand the magnitude of the kingdom of God? I'll give you the answer. No, we do not. I'm not speaking negative of anyone here, but rather it's the reality of everyone that lives in the United States of America. The danger as I've stated before, is that we would somehow be lulled asleep in the cradle of our own comfort zone. We then think that everything and every individual is like us. We judge the totality of the kingdom of God through the lens that we view it ourselves. And that can lead us to false assumptions. Yet sometimes... God gives us glimpses into how vast and diverse his kingdom really is. While standing in the midst of approximately 3,000 people, I realized that the mission trip that we were on was not about me going to show these people how to live for God, but rather we were there so they could show us how to live for God. I know that may sound crazy because here we are, the in their eyes, we're the affluent Americans. We were, we were like celebrities, but, but I can't tell you how many times I caught myself repenting before God. I can't tell you how many times I asked God to forgive me for complaining about things that don't make sense. I would, I would get tired in those youth camps, and I would go sit down on a chair, and I would try to catch my breath, and I'd look, I'd look up, and I'd look up at young people that were so drenched in sweat from head to toe, and yet they would not stop worshiping. They would not stop dancing. They would not stop weeping before.
before the Lord. And I'd get up out of that chair and I'd say, God, forgive me. Who am I to think that I'm better than any one of these people that are worshiping God? God, I'm sorry that I was lazy and I wanted to get a seat while other people worshiped. My eyes were open to the simple fact that God is the only one who owns cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need people that owns cattle on a thousand hills. He just needs people that want to serve him and want to love him and want to give him everything. As Pastor McGee stepped to that pulpit during the crusade, I, I didn't show the beginning part of that video, but the Spirit of the Lord began to move amongst those people over the next little while. He got up to that pulpit, and what people did not know is that he had prayed and prayed and prayed and never felt a clear direction. But when he was fixing a walk to the pulpit, the Lord spoke to him and gave him a, a verse, a scripture, and a title. And he walked up there, and he read about Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. And his title that day was A Message for Masbati. And the Spirit of the Lord blew into that Colosseum as he began to prophesy to the four winds. And ever since that time, I've been thinking about our church. I've been thinking about Wallace Ridge. Brother McGee brought a word from America to the Filipino people. It was a word from our culture to theirs to impact them in their walk with God. So tonight, I want to do the same thing, but this time I want to bring a word that God birthed in my heart from the Philippines to America. For these people taught me something that I probably could not have learned in America. And I believe it's a word that God wants to speak to our church. For as the Lord began to deal with me, my eyes landed upon the passage of Scripture that I read. There was a woman who was the wife of the sons of the prophets. And her husband died, and she went to the credit or to, to Elisha and said, Hey, I don't have, a, I, I've got two sons and, and, and my husband, and, the, and, and he died. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thy handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Here was a woman whose husband was gone, which meant that her income was compromised and the creditors were coming and they represented the enemy and she didn't know what to do and the, and the prophet asked her what do you have in the house and she said nothing I don't have anything we've been around very few people who could actually say they had nothing but can I tell you, three weeks ago, I met people that could say honestly, they had nothing. They had none of the worldly luxuries. They didn't have what you and I think are necessities. But here is what they taught me. Nothing is enough. 
This phrase has been used many times to describe people who have an appetite that cannot be satisfied. You've heard people say, nothing is ever enough. Never enough money. Never enough attention. Never enough vehicles. It doesn't matter what you do. Nothing is enough. But I'm not using that phrase in that context. I'm looking at people tonight who didn't have much to offer God. For we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all made mistakes. We've all come broken before the throne of God. We had nothing. But in God's economy, nothing is always enough. I'm not going to preach much longer, but you hear me. Your purpose is not determined by your possessions. God doesn't require anyone to have a certain amount to offer. For you had a purpose before you ever had possessions. You had a purpose to your life before you ever had a dollar, before you ever had a car, before you ever had a house. He told Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. Jeremiah, you don't have anything to offer me. You have nothing. Nothing, but nothing is enough in my kingdom. I've come to tell somebody today, you may be in this place and say, I don't have anything to offer God. My friend, you've got everything you need to offer God. If you don't have nothing, God says, that's all I need. You bring me your heart. You bring me your past. I feel like preaching in this place. You don't have to have anything to, to, to get God's attention. We were surrounded by people who literally did not know where their next meal was coming from. They didn't know where their next meal was coming from. They weren't wealthy people. But I've never been around happier people in my life. People that did not have a social bubble. The reason we had to give altar calls like we did and speak a word of faith is because they would pack in there so tight, back to belly, they would get so tight that you could not walk between them to pray for them. You could pray, you could pray for people all around the perimeter, but to try to get through all of them was nearly impossible. They don't have anything. So when you don't have anything... All your hope has to be in Jesus Christ. All your hope has to be in what God can do for you, for you and to turn your life around. So your, your purpose is not determined by your possessions, but listen to me. Your possessions can hinder your purpose. Revelation 3.14, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot or neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increase with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not thou that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
What was stopping them from doing what God called them to do? Possessions. You know what God viewed them as? He viewed them as wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's the difference between how we view ourselves. We got all of this. We got possessions. We've got material gain. We've got money. We've got all of this. And God says, you're wretched and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. I've come to submit something to this church tonight. Lest we miss out on who God's calling us to be. Lest we miss out on what God's purposed us to be. We better never put all of our stock in what we have on this earth. And what clothes we wear. And what house we live in. And what car we drive. Because when the trumpet sounds, it's all going to be burned up. Only what's done for Christ will last. Nothing is enough. Preacher, you don't know my past. You don't know everything that I've done. Preacher, you, I don't have anything to offer God. Good, you're just like everybody else. We didn't have anything to offer God. But look what she did have. She said, the only thing I've got is some oil. And oil always represents the Holy Ghost. And because she had the oil in her house, it was the salvation of her family. It's what kept the enemy away was the oil. You know what will keep the enemy away? It's the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. I was thinking this afternoon, there were five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. You know what the difference between the saved and the unsaved was? The oil. They had the same opportunity to make their, their preparations. But five of them didn't. And five of them did. And we're all in this place tonight. We've got the same opportunity to make our preparations. But the sad reality is not everybody will. We all, but you know, the Bible says that nobody will be able to stand before God. The Bible actually says that they will be without excuse. Everybody that ever stands before God will not be able to say, God, you never gave me an opportunity. Stand with me right now. There's no way I could bring you. Well, there is a way. It costs a lot of money. Bring everybody to my body. But not everybody would want to go to my body. Not everybody would. But there's no way that a video could do justice to what it was like to be surrounded by people that didn't have anything. But they were so happy over what they did have, and that was the Holy Ghost. What would happen if we got so happy over what we did have inside that it didn't matter what we had on the outside? In fact, it so impacted Brother and Sister McGee. I'm not trying to tell anything private. They had, they had a beautiful home. They sold their home, and they was going to build another house. But you know what they did? They put an offering on a small home next to the church because they were so impacted by what, they, what happened in my body. We think that 
Our life has to be measured by square foots and cars and, 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 and clothes and everything. You don't have to have all that to please God. You don't have to have all that. I'm not preaching that you got to live in poverty. Please don't leave here and say i got to sell everything that I have. No, but your attention doesn't have to be focused on everything that you have. The church in Laodicea had all kinds of things. We could assume they were a wealthy church, but their possessions hindered the approval of God over their life. Wallace Ridge, if there's anything that we have to make sure we keep in order, it's that God and our relationship with God is the most important thing in life. It's the most important thing. If I die a pauper, but I'm saved, I'll die a rich man. Everything that we spend our life thinking that we have to build up and we measure ourselves by in God's economy, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But what matters is giving your heart to God, living for God, and reaching people. Over 120 people received the Holy Ghost that we know of actually verified receive the Holy Ghost. And if, if none of those people ever drive a car, most of them don't even own vehicles, if they never live in a big house, the greatest fear I had while I was on that island is God, don't let me stand in judgment next to one of these people because I might be embarrassed because they prayed like I've never seen people pray. They worship like I've never seen people worship. And they wouldn't leave an altar. You had to make them leave an altar. This is not a message of rebuke. This is just a message trying to stir something in our heart. It ought not be that anybody has to make us pray. It ought not be that anybody has to make us come to an altar or make us worship. But it ought to be that what we got on the inside it's so precious that we just, it bubbles out of sight of us. God, I want to get closer to you than I've ever been. Why don't we lift our hands all over this building right now? God, I want you to stir something up in our hearts. Something that will last tomorrow. Something that will last next week. God, I want to fall in love with you like I've never loved you before. I think it'd be good if we just came and, 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 and stood at this altar with our hands lifted. Wallace Ridge, if you're a member of this church, I'm inviting you.